Would you please stand with me, friends, as we turn to the Lord's word? We're reading from Proverbs chapter 14 today, verses 1 through 12, but focusing only on verse 12. Have you been through the Proverbs recently? Do you realize that you could make a sermon out of every single verse? Probably multiple sermons. It's just amazing how, is, uh, how much is packed into the Proverbs. Um, if, again, you will listen now to the Lord's word, I'm reading from Proverbs 14, 1 through 12. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will protect them. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. A trustworthy witness will not lie, but a false witness utters lies. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. Leave the presence of a fool, or you will not discern words of knowledge. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of, the fo- of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is goodwill. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way which seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. Again, this is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated? Again, Father, we thank you for this day that you give, and again for your word. What a loving and faithful God you are to us. And so I pray that in keeping with your love and your promise, we ask, O Lord, that your blessing be upon your word, that you would help your servant to handle this passage faithfully, And that you would also, Father, help your people to hear it faithfully. We pray that you would keep the evil one from us and that you would keep us free from his attacks. Uh, Keep him from stealing away the seed of the gospel. And we ask, Father, that this word going forward would um, produce fruit for your kingdom and that it would cause the kingdom of Satan great injury. Again, we rejoice in you for your kindness to us. We are weak, but you are strong. Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Every day, death is in the news. Mass shootings of some sort. I saw that there was a great fire in New York City this week um, on one of the skyscrapers. was a crane that caught fire, and they evacuated buildings. Um, We hear every day of war. Uh, When I originally preached this, and I did preach this before on a Sunday evening some five or six years ago, um, I chose this proverb for several reasons. At that point, there was the campfire uh, fire. It's actually the campfire fire, which was in northern California of November uh, 2018. A massive fire, largest, I believe, in Californian history. Uh, 85 deaths. Over 13,000, closer to 14,000 houses were burned and destroyed. They said they found people in cars uh, who had been burned alive trying to flee the fires and people in their houses. It was a terrible thing, a terrible fire that took place. 
But it was strange because it was that week that a childhood uh, memory I was also confronted with. I grew up watching Little House on the Prairie. I don't know if any of you grew up watching Little House on the Prairie. My children grew up watching Little House on the Prairie. And the same week that that fire broke out, um, Mrs. Olson from uh, Little House on the Prairie had also died, Catherine McGregor. Um, if you remember, she was Mrs. Olson, and she was the witchy woman in Walnut Grove. She was the one, you know, if you wanted to be a bad boy or something, you'd have a picture of Mrs. Olson on your wall in your bedroom or something. Um, she was a villainous woman. She was the antagonist in the Little House series. And so I'm, I'm kind of a buff. You know, you see these things when you're little, and you watch, and you remember Mrs. Olson, and and you find out she has died, and I, so I read a, a brief biography about her, and they said she was one of the loveliest people on the whole set of Little House on the Prairie, that all the children just loved her. Just a great and a sweet lady. Um, really quite a good actress, because you'd never get that impression from the show. And they said that, uh, you know, her, her castmates all said that uh, they appreciated her many talents, and, and they wished her uh, that she would rest in peace. And she was a devout Hindu, a devout Hindu. Many people died that week in the fires, and, and here this, this lady who I had grown to, to despise in such a wonderful way um, from the TV series. Um, and I ask myself, are these people really in peace? Is Mrs. Olson really in peace? I don't know about most of the people, but I do know this, that a devout Hindu is not going to be in peace. And this happened five years ago, six years ago. And that's five or six years of eternity apart from the grace of God. Um, which leads me to a second reason for choosing this proverb, and that was, is this, that there are still so many of us who are still alive. We're alive. There's still time for men and women who are currently walking paths, um, but they're walking paths that will not end well if they continue on them. And so we need to know, before it's too late, uh, we need to know where is our destiny. It is appointed for us, as Paul would write in Hebrews, to, to die once, and after this comes judgment. Unlike Hinduism, the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. We have one chance. We pass through this life once, and then we stand before the Lord. And you children, you need to take this to heart as well. When I was in first grade, there was a boy in the fourth grade who had died of a brain aneurysm. He was just playing with his brother in the yard one day. And he said, my head, my head, and he fell over and died. There's a boy in our church. And so there's never a guarantee that we live to see another day. And so it's, it's the duty of the living to take it to heart, the fact that we all will die and stand before the Lord. Fires remind us that death is imminent. Movie stars dying remind us that nobody gets a pass, regardless of what they have done or what, how many stars they have a star in Hollywood's Walk of Fame. Here Solomon is writing as a caution to the Lord's people, to any who will listen, 
not to walk in those ways that seem right, but to walk in those ways that are right. Again, Solomon is writing to the Lord's people so that they should not walk in those ways that seem right, but so that they will walk in those ways that are right. So understand, everybody is on some path. Again, listen to the Proverbs. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Clearly here, there is an implied two ways. There is a way whose end leads to death, and therefore, there is a way which leads to life. Solomon is not saying that there are many ways to life. And how do we know this? Because he is writing this, this proverb, these proverbs, in the context of the covenant community. He is, a, he is a Jew. He's the king of the Jews at this point. He's writing these proverbs. He's, he's looking at the Lord's people, and he's remembering the past of the Lord's people, how the Lord, by a strong arm, brought them out of Egypt, delivered them, and redeemed them, and gives them the law, and says, walk in this way because I've redeemed you. He has given these proverbs so that the covenant community knows how to live out the Christian faith in the midst of a wonky world. And so he's writing to them so that they will learn, that they will understand they are on some path. But again, he is not saying that there are many paths. It is the Lord himself who has delivered his people. And so where is the beginning of wisdom? It is the fear of the Lord. This is the beginning of knowledge. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, we hear this written by Moses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Here they are going into a land that's full of gods, small g, the land of Canaan, where there's going to be all sorts of deities that they can worship. Any pleasure you want, you can find a god to meet that pleasure. But for the Lord's people, there's just one. Behold, or hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. There is only one way that leads to life, but there are a myriad of ways that lead to death. So what is a way? What is this way? Strictly speaking, it's the action of going, of walking. Hence, it is... It is a journey that anyone would take. Also, it could be a path that goes somewhere like the way to Jericho. It would be a path. In this sense, in this, in this context, in this proverb, the way is the, the mode, the course in which one goes or which one follows. It is a way of living or acting. It is the manner in which one lives. So I give you a couple of Examples: There is the man who still lives like he's a teenage boy. He's got his games, his friends, but he doesn't grow up. This is his way of living. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. This is the way in which he lives. He's a man, but he's living like a child. Or there's the woman who is going to throw off patriarchal systems and become a third-wave feminist. So she identifies with it, lives her life for it, and makes decisions in light of it. It is her way of living. This is the path she has chosen. 
We all have a way, and we are all walking a path. We are told anymore that there are many ways, and because we have been conditioned to be nice at the expense of truth, and we have bought into this mindset in large part to judge not, lest ye be judged, people are no longer challenged in this, these false ideas. So people believe that there's no such thing as absolutes. And so there's no fear of God, and there are many ethics. And just like in Judges, in Judges 17.6, everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And so lying and stealing and these sorts of things all find some kind of accessibility. A man breaks into a house to rob it. The owner of the house shoots him, and he falls down dead. We accuse the owner of the house, and not the man who entered into the house in the first place to rob them. This is the world we're living in. There's many ways we can't judge. We're not supposed to, right? It it comes down to, uh, we see it in the areas of morality and sexuality. Men with men, women with men, or women rather with women. Men dressing as women, women dressing as men. Men abusing women, women having sex with teenage students. Who are you to judge? This is just the way it's done. Do you see this? You see this in our culture? You do see this, don't you? <laughs> I think I don't think I'm preaching, or I don't think I'm uh, saying anything. It's um, odd. Killing of our children, killing of our old people, the killing of infirmed people. It's just what we do now. It's a way. It's the way we're thinking. Religion is no longer a right way, just the way a a person with sincerely held beliefs, that whatever your personal truth is, be it Hindu, Mormon, atheist, all are to be considered valid beliefs. And we are told repeatedly that there are many paths. But according to this proverb, there are not many paths. There is one path that leads to life, and all the other paths lead to death. Solomon points out that the way many walk, the way, the path in which they travel, for many people, their paths, they seem right. This word right means uh, straight or level. Often it's considered a moral term or term of morality. Commonly, this phrase seems right is is used with this uh, word way. And it readily assumes, says one commentator, figuratively meaning of ethical behavior that does not go outside of what is judged to be right behavior and so leads to success. These individuals that I cited, the man who's acting like a boy, the militant feminist, the Hindu devotee, the man who works so as to think he can secure a future, whatever the way may be, it seems right to them. It looks like a level path, a good way to go, a shortcut to success. I can have all of this I can have all of these things and not be bothered with church and not be bothered with Christianity, not be bothered by the Bible, by restrictions. There's a shortcut to these things. I can, I can achieve these things apart from the Lord. It seems right. It seems right. But it isn't right. And it only seems right. It appears legitimate, but it is not You ask yourself, or they ask themselves this, what could possibly go wrong? It makes total sense until it comes to ruin. The hard work and all the money that was stored away, I have a good future, and then they die. 
And what do they have? Many walk in the way that seems right. I ask myself why. I believe there are several reasons at least. I believe, one, because people lean upon their own understanding of things. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. People like to lean upon their own understandings because many people have too high an opinion of themselves and their intellect. And so they suppose that of all that can be known in all the universe, they have the lion's share of information and understanding, not recognizing that God um, has, has spoken on matters or the fact that he alone has a perfect and thorough knowledge of all things. Men make judgments based upon limited and faulty information and are oftentimes misled, thinking that they are doing right and they suffer. A great example of this very thing, and I, I'm, I'm so appalled by it. As you know, um, I like to find out, talk to people who've graduated from the 60s out of high school because it was such a turbulent time in our nation's history. I read an article by a, a man named Jonathan Van Maren who reported, did a, a kind of an expose on Alfred Kinsey and his research if you remember who Alfred Kinsey was, some of you remember certainly much better than I. Uh, he was around in the 40s and 50s, and he paved the way for the sexual revolution of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. His research, so-called, was not only faulty, but it was evil. According to this Jonathan Van Maren, um, his researchers had marriages who held marriages as a front to conceal their strategies to supplant what they saw as a narrow procreation Judeo-Christian era with a promiscuous, anything-goes, bisexual, homosexual, pedophile paradise. That's Alfred Kinsey. But because it was labeled science, our nation, we bought into it, and, and, and I have to say just this, look at the scars. Look, look what the, the disaster that it has reaped, disease and shattered homes and lives of people who have thrown off those traditional values because science said those traditional values are passe. And yet God has written them into the fabric of this world and of this universe. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've come across people who know better than God. They don't say it, but you point out what the scriptures say and they conveniently do their own thing, presumably because they know better. The experts have said. So that might be one reason why people choose a certain way, why a way may seem right to them. But it might also be, it seems right, because of what others are doing and saying. We go along with the majority vote, uh, voice. We follow the loudest voices. If everyone else is living this way, walking this path, trusting this model, then it must be a good path. It seems good. It seems good. But according to Acts 14, we read this in verse 2, but the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. And so the Gentiles, they don't know, but what do the Jews come along and do? They come along and, and speak falsely of Jesus Christ, speak falsely of the Christians, and they turn the, the Gentiles against the brethren. They're following along. We see this very thing. I remember watching, I'm still appalled, Oprah Winfrey raised a Baptist. 
Um, that, that's what makes this shocking because I could never imagine a Baptist saying something like this. There can't possibly be just one way to God. Can you imagine, Charlie, a Baptist saying that? I can't either. I can't either. And yet, Oprah says this. And so we look at these Hollywood elites and what they say and the the trusting masses, and we say, well, they must be right until I say, look at their lives. They're a mess. Should you climb aboard a boat that is taking on water? Look at the fruit. It says the validity, it, it paints the validity of their ideologies. Or sometimes we, we do things and they seem right because of our feelings. Our feelings tell us so. Our gut tells us so. And so we rely upon intuition. It feels so right, it can't be wrong. was one of the lines out of a Christian song in the early 70s. My friends, feelings lead people into affairs. Feelings cause people to get hooked on drugs and pornography and various addictions. It is our feelings which causes us to be turned into flakes and not to follow through. I just didn't feel like getting out of bed this morning. So I just didn't show up to work. Feelings. They're wonderful. They're like, they're like salt and pepper on your bacon and eggs. They're great as a seasoning, but they make an awful diet. You can't live by your feelings. We live by facts. We live by truth. We live by scripture. This is what the Lord tells us. My point is this. I've not been exhaustive in what I'm saying, but it's this. is that in the world, there are many voices crying out that this is the way to be happy. This is the way to be successful. This is the way of life. Many things, but they are not. And they will seem like it based upon the experts and the masses, based upon your gut. But those ways only lead to death. These ways, with the imprimatur of the experts, the masses, and the feelings, though they would appear right, as if you're on a path that is going to lead somewhere good, it will lead only to death, to your demise, and to your own destruction. That's the reality. We're getting ready to go sit at a table at the county fair this week, and we're going to come across a lot of people, and they will be sharing their way. They will. And we will say, there is a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads only to death. That's what people are counting on. We're comfortable. Things are easy. Things are going my way. But you're ignoring the revelation of God, which comes from heaven and shines light on this world and says, yes, those things look legitimate. You think you're going to find life there, but I'm telling you, you're not going to find life there. It's going to lead to your destruction. Don't go down that path any further. Don't go there. That's where we are in this world. Paul would say that the sin of this world doesn't bring benefit to anyone. Rather, the outcome of it is death. The Lord would say in Matthew 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. 
Think about what is peddled in our culture. These ideas that all roads lead to God, all lifestyles are valid, all are equally good, and all seem right. I ask you this, where is Mrs. Olson today? Barring an 11th hour intervention from the Lord, which he is perfectly capable of doing. I never rule out, friends. In fact, I would say this. Someone asks you, my aunt died. Where is she? We can never definitively say they're in heaven or they're in hell. A believer, we can say, by the grace of God, they will be in heaven. And to the unbeliever, we can say, God is merciful. He may have just saved them at the 11th hour like the thief on the cross. Always hold out to people the mercy and grace of God. But a man who says, I hate Jesus Christ and I want nothing to do with him, and he lived and died on that falling off his lips, where is he now? I'm sure he's at peace. I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on that. We can say that because that's what the scripture says. We have to get back to the scripture. We have to get back to the scripture. Unless the Lord intervened in Mrs. Olson's life, she is separated from the grace of God forever in the fires of hell, and she has no peace. The path she chose, it seemed right, but it led to death. Where is the homosexual man, the lesbian woman? Where are those who are under the control of their flesh? Where are those who are practicing the New Age movement? Where are those who are drunkards, the idolater, the thief, the swindler? Notice, I'm not isolating any sin. Where are the people who live for those sins? When they die, where do they go? They place their confidence in, 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 in something other than Jesus Christ. Their paths, while the whole world cheered them on, have led them have led them to death. Listen to this. Jesus says it in Matthew 25. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. They entered the wide gate. They chose the broad way. Those who practice such things, says Paul in Galatians 5, will not inherit the kingdom of God. For many, my friends, it is too late. They have died. And they have been judged. But for you, there is still time to leave that path, to come away from it, and to come to the path that is true, the path that is life. This is the message. This is the message of the gospel, isn't it? The path that is life is an ancient path. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 6, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. And walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. It is a narrow path. Again, Jesus wrote in Matthew 7, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. It is not true because it is old, but it is old because it is true, as old as the garden and the promise that God himself made that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, that God himself would deliver his people, setting them free from the penalty of sin and the wrath to come. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, my friends, he is life. And every other path that takes you away from him is a path that leads to death. 
we look to the Lord. That's where life is found. Not in these other systems and other religions. Anything that takes you away from Jesus Christ is taking you to hell. But Christ is the way to God and the way to peace with God. And it was Jesus, listen, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It is narrow. Again, Peter would say, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And again, we read, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My friends, we don't stay on the wide path that you are walking, that the experts say there is life to be found here, and the Hollywood elite say that you're doing good, and if it feels so good, it must be right. Those are all contrary to what the Lord himself has said, who has shown you the way of life. A way of life is Jesus Christ. Look upon Jesus Christ, flee from your sin, and you will be saved. Look upon Jesus Christ, flee from your sin, and you will be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word, and thank you, Father, for this proverb. We recognize, Lord, that there are many ways in this world that seem right, and yet they indeed do lead to death. But there is the way that leads to life, narrow and old as the garden, ancient and a way that leads to, to peace. And that way is Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being that way to the Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being that place, that one in whom we find life, we find purpose, we find forgiveness. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would cause us to, to step aside from those paths which are leading us away from you, and that you would bring us to yourself through your Son. Thank you for your word and pray now that you would cause it to have its effect. And I do ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.